Hello, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening to the Delphi Auto Parts Cast. I'm Dave Hobbs, Senior Field Instructor for Delphi Technologies. And today we want to talk about avoiding the defective diagnosis. There's a lot of things out there that can lead technicians into the wrong assumptions, going in the wrong directions, spending a lot of extra time and money and not getting a fix. So we're going to talk about one of those today that has almost led me personally into a defective diagnosis. And this is all called the case of the Deacon's Defective Defroster. This guy's name, George, I'll leave out his last name, but we went to church together. You know how it is when you're a tech. Wherever you go, you go to the grocery store, the mall, church, wherever, and somebody's going to come up to you inevitably and go, um, hey, my car is making this noise or it's doing this thing or this lights on. And so being a tech, a shop owner, whatever, you know, you want to help out. So I pull up in a winter day, I pull up and I see this uh, 2011 Chevy Impala and Deacon George is driving it. I've known George for years and I go, Hey George, what's going on with the windshield? Looks a little foggy. Is your defroster not working? He goes, funny you would ask that. You know, I had to say, right? He said, I was going to ask you about my defogger. It's not working right. And I said, well, okay, what's going on? He said, it doesn't seem to put out the proper amount of air. It just seems to have a mind of its own. It does not warm enough. And so I said, well, let's do a little preliminary checking. He says, well, you knew my dad, right? Yeah, Sam was his dad's name. You know, and Sam taught his son, well, you know, check the coolant, make sure the radiator's full, the overflow tank. You don't see any belts or hoses or anything loose under the hood. So he'd already done those things, and I raised the hood, did a quick double check for him. And sure enough, everything looked fine. After church was over, we even checked the cool down. We even checked the level of the cooling system. It was full. And so now it's coming time to, after preliminary inspection, to do a little bit more questioning. Okay, George, tell me all you know. This is where the shop owner in the real world not necessarily with the friend that you run into out in the public where you might actually have to ask questions two or three different ways because you get inevitably those customers that think if they tell you the whole story and all the information that they know, that somehow that's going to make the car be more costly to repair and take longer to repair. And we know the opposite is true. If we can get all the information up front quickly and accurately as far as the history of the service of the vehicle, what all's been done, what all the symptoms are, anybody's worked on it, aftermarket parts, accessories, so forth. We get the whole story. We can fix the car more quickly and usually for less money than if we only get bits and pieces of the story. So in this case, I didn't have that challenge. George just told me everything he knew, including he said, you know what, come to think of it, I'm hearing some funny noises under the dash occasionally. Now, if you think about a defroster that's not working good, I don't get good heat, I don't get good air distribution, I hear a clicking under the, under the dash, I think everybody that's a tech longer than a few months knows where we're going with this. We're talking about actuators. We're talking about those little flat pack motors, something like we're seeing right here, the noise source, and maybe replacing one of those, maybe looking for binding leaky, linkage, maybe even the doors themselves under the under the dash in this case i didn't want to go there i'm in a church parking lot with, with a guy i know and i don't want to be taking parts off a car or do anything intrusive i don't have a tool to do it anyways so i got to thinking you know what rather than to go and start diving into it i should do what any good tech should do i should look for service bulletins 
Well, the next step was I went ahead and pulled the laptop out. I had a laptop in my car, for crying out loud, and uh, went on the web using my phone. And we sat together in his car, and I found no service bulletins for that 2011 Chevy Impala. So at this point in time, if you're following what I'm talking, you're probably thinking it's time to start pulling some, you know, uh, the glove box out, start looking at the blend door, the, the, the air distribution doors, trying to duplicate this clicking noise and so forth, see what's going on. Do I get the full extent of the motor? Maybe put a scan tool on it and check for all codes and all modules. In this case, I went a little different route. In this case, I didn't see any tech service bulletins leading me to think there was a new part, new software, a new procedure, whatever, to fix this HVAC performance issue. I went another direction. After I eliminated the TSBs, and there wasn't any for this vehicle for this kind of symptom, I went into something called the GM Cal ID website. That's what I like to call it. What I want you to do, if you're watching, listening, take a mental note. If you can, take an actual note where you write down. I want you to put into Google. A search engine's fine, but specifically Google will be a little more superior to finding the website that I really want you to make as a favorite. But you got to put the right keywords in and use a good search engine like Google. Put in the word GM, or the letter GM, and then CAL, short for calibration, and then ID, short for identification. So GM space CAL, C-A-L space ID. Put that in your search engine, Google preferably. And what you'll have next is you'll have on the list of hits on your search, right up at number one, if you use Google, GM Cal ID dash General Motors. And there's the website, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash Cal ID dot GM dot com. That's what you want to click on and then make it a favorite. If you've never done this, and believe it or not, this has been out there for years, and as a field tech trainer, I'm always in these live classes, whether it be in the back of an auto parts store, in a hotel, in a, in a Votech school, or in a big conference. It doesn't matter. I will give the same spiel. I'm giving it to you right now, and I'll have two-thirds of the class taking notes because they don't do this. So whether you're a seas if you're a seasoned reprogrammer, you already have this website logged in. You use it all the time. But most technicians watching, and I'll bet you most technicians out there in general, are not calibrating, they're not programming, they're not flashing in their shops. They're having it done by a mobile tech or you're taking the vehicle to the dealer. And that's fine as long as you have a plan. But this is part of your plan. How do you know when to take it to the dealer? How do you know when there's a calibration out there to fix something? In the case of this Impala, being a General Motors product, for whatever reason, and I think it, my personal opinion is, they have a lot of calibration updates to fix things. A lot of other companies may go the more expensive route and have a new replacement part, but GM fixes a lot of things with software, which is really cool, okay? But on the downside, there are so many calibrations that sometimes they don't all get put into a tech service bulletin. In fact, I talked, uh, spoke with some GM people here a few years ago, and I said, what well, would you estimate the number of undocumented, outside of what we're getting ready to talk about, in other words, not documented in a TSB, how many calibration updates to fix a problem are out there that are not documented in a per se TSB, or as GM calls their preliminary TSBs, PIs, preliminary information? How many of these 
software updates are out there that fit into that category to fix something that are not documented except in this GM Cal ID website. And the response was about 40%. That's a pretty good number. So if 40% of the GM software fixes out there are not documented in a PI or TSB, where are they? They're right here where I'm showing you. Google GM Cal ID, go to the site, you'll get when you do the search, https colon forward slash forward slash calid.gm.com. Make that a favorite. And here's the next step you're going to do. When that's a favorite, and I did this with George's car, all right? I took his VIN number and I typed it in this little spot on the left-hand corner of that screen. When you get to that website, you pull it up. On the right-hand corner, it'll be a place to put an a module part number if you just want to look up updates of calibrations by module numbers. In this case, I want to do the whole vehicle. So I put his VIN number in and I hit Cal ID. And the next thing you know, it comes up with a list of all the modules for that particular vehicle, 2011 Impala, that are reprogrammable. If I could scroll this down, you'd see about 10 more. So there's about 20 modules or more on this list that could have a calibration update that might need done to fix a service problem. And if you're replacing a component, you would definitely go to a website where you'd pay money and actually get the calibrations to download through your factory scan tool or your J2534 universal pass-through, if you have one. But even if you don't have one, you're gonna have it done by somebody. You gotta know when the opportunity is there to have it done. Now, I wanna give you two general rules for programming. Number one rule, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So if it's not broke, don't flash it. Sometimes you'll have flashes that are out there. The customer's not complaining about something. You do the flash, Murphy's Law kicks in. You have a problem now. So it's kind of like you don't want your doctor doing surgery on you if you're not really hurting enough to justify it. So that's number one rule. The second rule is when all else fails, flash. When you can't figure out any other way to fix the car, you replaced a bunch of parts, and you see there's a calibration that's newer than what you've got now, what do you got to lose? So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, don't flash it. And if all else fails, go ahead and try a flash. In this case, there wasn't any other tech service bulletins to apply. We could go do a bunch of experimental surgery, if you will, taking the dash apart, looking for hard to get to blend door, temp door motors to try and work on, or we can see if there's an update that actually spells out George's problem. So I click on HVAC control module because that's what's the rele relevant complaint here. And I hit next and it has a list of part numbers. Now, if you were doing, those of you who do flashing, you already know this, you, would see, you wouldn't see a list like this because your scan tool slash reprogramming tool already has that built into it. It knows what module you're working on. But in the case of, I call it the window shopping for calibrations for GM Online, different story. It has all the part numbers that possibly could be in this vehicle under the HVAC setting. So all the control head part numbers are on here. Now, all you do is take your scan tool. You go in and I had a scan tool with me. <laughs> I'm crazy, I have a scan tool and a laptop usually in the trunk of my car all the time. So I had a PC-based scanner. I went in, I looked at all codes, all modules, didn't see anything. I went ahead then and looked at module ID, got the part number of the air control head, which was a 1581-8878 in this case. Then I hit next. 
So we're not really spending any money. We're just using a couple clicks on our scanner and a couple clicks with our mouse online. Pretty easy stuff. When I do that, then I get to this page right here where you'll see there are, or I'll just describe it to you if you're just listening to this podcast, there's actually three categories of aspects of the calibration. You might think of it as three sections of the calibration for the HVAC head. If you do the same thing with the ECM, it might be 10 sections. But in the case of the HVAC head here, there's three sections. One's called operating system, just like any other computer has an operating system, an OS. And then one called HVAC and one called Airflow. Now, if you're watching this podcast on a smartphone or a tablet, you'll note that the one in the middle that says HVAC, it's in red. When you see them in red, that means there's an option, like a optional um, HVAC system or an optional symptom, something you have to make a choice with your mouse on the computer. I go this route or I go that route. I have this option. I have that option on that car. And you get to basically in the right path. So I'm going to go ahead and click on all three of these areas. I already got the first one by default. And we see a bunch of notes about why the calibration was changed. And you see a bunch of part numbers below the different three sections. And those part numbers are like in a stair-step arrangement. And the stair-step arrangement basically says, you know, at the bottom of the stairs, that's the last step. Well, in this case, it's the most recent part number. So the bottom number in this cascading list of part numbers is the most recent one. And that's what we're seeing the notes about in the gray field that you see here if you're watching this podcast. And I'll go ahead and go through some of them in the gray field. New calibration or new software to recalibrate all HVAC actuators after every 25 ignition cycles. New software to enhance AC when max cold selected. And several other things like new software for improved operation of airflow doors. Hmm. That certainly sounds like some of George's problems with his 2011 Impala. So I, I'm a little bit of a, of a role here. This is, seems interesting. You know, your, your detective ears start perking up and you go, this sounds interesting. When you see symptoms described perfectly like your customer symptoms in the calibration updates footnotes, then you have justification to spend the customer's money, get the subscription if you do flashing yourself, or call the mobile tech, or take the vehicle to the dealer or another independent repair shop that has reflash capabilities and have the job done. If you don't see any symptoms in the calibration footnotes that match what the customer's complaining about, it goes back to that first rule of flashing. You remember what I said, if it's not broke, don't flash it. If you don't have those symptoms in your footnotes for your calibration, don't install that software. You could make things worse. But if you do, you'll probably make things better, and you might not be able to fix it any other way. Hardware won't fix it. Adjustments won't fix it. Only software will fix it. I'll go ahead and click on the other attributes of the calibration. I'll go down to the next one, which is HVAC. Remember, that was in red. That tells us we have options now. We have to make a selection of what we should do. In this case, I see two different groups of software calibration updates for the HVAC section of the HVAC head. And the top one, I click on it with my mouse, and it's this part number that ends with 049, and the footnotes for it says, 
New calibration to enable OAT. What the heck's OAT? Outside air temp sensor. So that little thermistor in front of the condenser, that's what we're talking about, for use with up-level instrument panel. In other words, the instrument cluster will tell you what the outside temperature is right there in the cluster. So you have an OAT sensor in front of the condenser and you have uh, the display on the cluster. If we click on the next option, which is the part number, that, the latest and greatest, that ends with 050. I'll go ahead and go to that one right there. I click there, and the 050 says new calibration to disable the OAT for use with the base cluster that doesn't have the temperature setting for the driver to read what outside air is. So you want to make sure you have the right knowledge of what that car has. Does it have a base cluster or an up level? If you're doing a diesel uh, like a Duramax uh, calibration study. You're looking to see if there's a calibration appropriate to fix a problem. Or maybe you're reflashing a PCM, a used PCM. You're flashing a new PCM. You'd want to make sure you knew if it had a square air cleaner or a round air cleaner because there'll be an option like this. It'll be in red. You'll click one, it'll say for square air cleaner. One will say for round air cleaner. If it's a uh, uh, an issue of a symptom repair, there might be one that says, this is the fix if you have black smoke. Another one that says, this is the fix if you have white smoke. And, and inevitably, I've actually heard this happen. If you click the wrong one, you can sometimes have the opposite symptom that you didn't want. So make sure you know what you got, the symptom or the equipment or both, and you make the right choice when you do the selections we're doing here. And the last one at the bottom says airflow. We'll click on that. And now we have a whole bunch of super sessions starting when the car was born in 2011 or late 2010, part number then with 55, and then it keeps cascading down like stair steps, these part numbers, super session, super session, super session, what? Looks like seven or eight times. We get to the very bottom, the number that ends with, uh, looks like 610, and there's the calibration notes for that very latest and greatest calibration. And it says new calibration needed for recalibrating of HVAC actuators every 25 ignition cycles. New calibration for improved operation of airflow doors. I'm getting an even more warm and fuzzy feeling that this calibration update may just take care of Deacon George's defective defroster. And so this symptom being described, this list of symptoms in the calibration footnotes, the calibration update footnotes, and by the way, you always look to see not only the part number of your, of your module, but in module information on any scan tool, it will give you the calibration part numbers. So using my smartphone, take a picture of that right from the scan tool. And I made a note that on airflow on his car currently, the number ended like with 074, which is like three super sessions ago. The latest number that ended with 610 that's what he needed. He had the one that ended with 074. So he had the older software and he needed the new software. So the symptoms match. And I think we may be able to fix this car's defective defroster, or I should say defogging performance. Okay, so finally we get to the third item in our major list of sections of the calibration called airflow. And as we look, we see this, this airflow calibration section has been changed like eight times. The very top number in with a 55. Where was Deacon George's part number? 
When I looked at that, when I went to module ID and got the module part number, I also made notes of the software part numbers. There's usually several of them listed. Made a note of all of them, just took a picture with my cell phone. Basically, it's all you do. And now I've seen his Airflow subsection software part number ended with 074, which is like three calibration updates ago. So he's three revisions old. The very latest one at the bottom ends with 610. So he needs the part number that ends with 610 for his airflow section of his calibration for his air control head to make it to where it automatically does a recalibration every 25 ignition cycles, as the notes say. The notes also say it, it does calibration improvement for operation of airflow doors. We definitely need that. AC Max, we didn't ask him about how it was acting in the, in the summer because it was kind of a winter day, but we see a whole list of things that this calibration takes care of. The software is definitely going to make an improvement to Deacon George's defective defroster if we put it in. And so I was using a J2534 pass-through anyways as a scan tool, so I just said, you know what, let's go ahead and get on the internet with my laptop again using my phone as a modem. And I, I went ahead and paid the, the $55 of the subscription to the AC Delco uh, re, reprogramming account and was able to then download the software we're seeing right now. In fact, the processes and actually doing a recalibration. Those of you who do the recalibrations yourselves, you know how this looks just like it looks on your screen when you have the subscription and you're going through the modes of actually doing the job of programming the software. So uh, probably should have had his vehicle connected to a battery maintainer, but he assured me his battery was in good shape and I knew from experience that HVAC heads don't take too long at all to reprogram. So we just had the key on engine stopped and we got the subscription going and we did the reprogramming and the steps looked very similar to what you uh, I've described or you've watched and seen today. And we downloaded the calibration, cycled the key and guess what? No more defective defrosters. In fact, I seen the next Sunday at church, he gave me the thumbs up and a big hug and uh, a little gift certificate to a local restaurant for the hassle, plus, plus pay me back for the 55 bucks for the subscription. And he was so tickled that his car was fixed right there in a the parking lot. And I know that makes it sound really easy. Not every calibration out there goes that smooth and that easy, but that's basically how it can happen, how it often does happen and how you won't fix cars sometimes unless you put the right software in. So where was the defective diagnosis heading? Starting to think I need to take that dash apart. Where did I get correction? When I recalled the fact that not only do you need to look at service bulletins, in the case of General Motors, definitely, you need to look at this GM Cal ID website we talked about and see if there's a software fix to fix the problem and not just a hardware fix. Thank you for watching, listening to the Delphi Parts Cast. I'm Dave Hobbs, Senior Instructor for Delphi Technologies. If you have any questions, please contact us via delphi.podcast at delphi.com and visit the web delphiaftermarket.com, www.delphiaftermarket.com. And also watch all the videos we have on our YouTube page. So check out Delphi Technologies on YouTube. We hope to see you in the future in a live class. God bless you and thanks for tuning in.